0: Daniel chapter nine is the reading for this morning. Daniel chapter nine. Daniel nine: will begin reading in verse one and read to the end of the chapter. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the Median of Median sent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done in Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned. We have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications, and for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name, for we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in the prayer, then the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision." Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, Even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Daniel chapter 9. And that's the introduction. (laughs) This chapter is considered by many... To be the most difficult chapter to interpret in the entire book. Some argue that it's the most difficult chapter to interpret in the entire Bible. There may not be a more complex passage in the Old or New Testament. It's hugely controversial. There, there are so many possible interpretations, it makes your head spin. At least it makes mind spin. Has made mine spin. You can tell me after a while if it still looks like it's spinning. (laughs) I'm going to try to slow it down and make sense of it all. I think it will help from the outset if we try to dissipate some of the complex mystery right from the outset. Okay, so with your Bibles open, go back to verse 24. If you notice in the reading, verse 24 is where all the problems started for us. We understand sin and Daniel's confession of it. We are far too acquainted with that reality in our own lives. But verse 24 of this chapter is where the complexities and the mysteries and the difficulties began. Let's look at verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity... To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So, if we were to just come to verse 24, cold. We just open our Bibles up and go to Daniel 9, 24. What do you think it's talking about? Does anybody think it looks like it might be referring to Jesus? Jesus. I mean, this is church, so that's a good answer. <laughs> yes, our, our mind should immediately run there. A, finish, a finishing of transgression, an end of sin, atonement for iniquity, bringing in everlasting righteousness, sealing up vision and prophecy, anointing the most holy place. So because that's a reality... What the life of Christ has made clear for us as we have opened and read in our New Testaments, we should seek to be careful not to needlessly obscure as we look back now at Daniel chapter 9. Because it is difficult and potentially problematic. I'm going to try to stay out of trouble with it. But I might need your help. Daniel is 82 years old. He's been in Babylon, exiled for 68 years. This chapter is happening during the events of chapter 6, the first year of Darius. That's what Daniel notes for us here with regard to chronology. That, as you may remember, is when Daniel refused to bow down and pray to anyone other than the Most High God, and it was a stance, or a kneel we may say, that landed him in the den of lions, where God showed his protection of Daniel. But Daniel's life was not only a life that was marked by prayer, his life was also marked by one of reading the scriptures. He tells us that here in verse 2. I observed in the books of the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Here's Daniel 68 years removed from Jerusalem in the holy city. Either he has his hands on a scroll or he has been meditating on the prophet Jeremiah at some measure for 68 years. Either way, Daniel was acquainted with the word of God and he was spending time in the word of God and There in Jeremiah 25, which is what Daniel appears to have been reading, Jeremiah has made clear why the people of his day were suffering, which is also why the people of Daniel's day were suffering. I have spoken to you, chapter 25 of Jeremiah, verse 3, again and again, God says, but you have not listened. Or again in verse 7 of chapter 25 of Jeremiah, You have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Jeremiah continues. Because you have not obeyed my words, says Jeremiah prophesying God. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord. I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon Seventy years. Now, when Daniel was a young man and he's two years into the exile, it would be rather devastating to read. Sixty-eight more years? But now he's 68 years in, and he's reading. Seventy years is what was prophesied. So we, we can imagine the anticipation that Daniel must feel. Continuing in Jeremiah 25, when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation declares the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. So the context for Daniel chapter 9 is Daniel's Bible open or scroll unrolled to the prophet Jeremiah or his mind meditating there. And look at his response. Chapter 9, verse 3. Here's the 82-year-old man, Bible open, Jeremiah 25, where the promise that God will send his people into exile, who will use Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and they will remain there for 70 years. And Daniel believes God. So, verse 3 says, I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplication, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I have three points that I want to discuss this morning. First is Daniel's prayer, which runs through verse 19. And then there's a promise in verse 20 through 23. In the final four verses, prophecy, which is the title as well. Prayer, promise, and prophecy. So only 3 points. That's the good part. The not so good part is I have 6 subpoints for each point. That's 18 points. If you don't count the other 3 that are primary and then you're at 21. So you have 6 points for each which is 6 6 and 6. Okay? <laughs> Before you get scared and try to run away, you can't get out of here without driving down County Road six six six. So just sit tight. So, all right? Prayer to God, promise of God, and prophecy from God. Daniel's prayer. There's no way I'm going to remember to give you all the points. So you just just trust me that there are 18 coming. I can tell you the first one is earnestly. How did Daniel pray? Earnestly. It was a deliberate approach on his part. We've looked at it already in verse 3. He tells us what's driving him to his knees in prayer. I gave attention to the Lord as a result of seeing what he said in his word. I was motivated. I was encouraged because of what God has promised. Because he says this exile is coming to an end. And so he made a deliberate attempt. He wasn't careless. He wasn't carefree. He sought the Lord by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. But he didn't just pursue him earnestly. He sought the Lord reverently. Point two. Verse four. Oh, Lord, the great and awesome God. The way that he approaches God, he knew him. He knew what God was really like, and he approached him in reverence and respect Recognizing that God was faithful, again verse 4, He's a God who keeps His covenant. Who even in judgment, He has confirmed His words against us, verse 12. Verse 7, Daniel says, righteousness, O God, belongs to you. Verse 14, the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all His deeds. Almost unimaginable that everything that God has ever done is defined and described as the epitome of righteous. Because of who he is, everything that he does is righteous. The Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds, Daniel says. You brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Here's Daniel remembering centuries later how faithful God was to his people. And don't you know that also stirs up His confidence in the faithfulness of God to again deliver his people out of exile. Daniel approaches God with reverence. He he understands his proper place in the grand scheme of things. Daniel is not a nobody. He has been a somebody in this pagan kingdom for many years. But he doesn't compare with God and he recognizes that. He understands his proper place. So there's nothing flippant about how he approaches God. He recognizes he's the most high God, and so he comes in reverential fear, seeking to honor him. Our culture, in contrast to Daniel, has continued to lose most any sense of reverence for anything, but especially the things of God and God himself. We need, as believers, we need more reverence in our lives. In the private means of grace, as we seek Him in the scriptures and in prayer, and in the public means of grace through the reading and preaching of His word and singing gospel songs. Intimacy with God, which is desirable, should not be confused with over familiarity or disrespect. He is holy. We are not. He is righteous in all he says and all that he does. We are not. He is merciful. We are not. He's kind. We're not. He's long-suffering. We're not. He's everything that we're not. So it's understandable as Daniel begins his prayer, acknowledging the God is high and lifted up, the great and awesome God. That he transitions from praising God to confessing sin. Because when we see God for who he is, we can't help but recognize and sense the exposure of our lack and how much we need him. So Daniel approaches God earnestly and reverently. Thirdly, he approaches God penitently. Verse 5. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Verse 6, we have not listened to your prophets. Verse 7, unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Verse 8, we have sinned against you. Verse 9, we've rebelled against you. Verse 10, we have not obeyed your voice. We have not walked in your teachings which you set before us. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. Verse 13, We have not sought your favor. We have not turned from our iniquity. We have not given attention to your truth. We have not obeyed your voice. Verse 15, we have sinned. We have been wicked. The people of God recognize Daniel is speaking for them. Even though they know that the discipline that they've been under for 68 years is due to their sin, Daniel is acknowledging here, we still have failed to turn to you in prayer. And we are so prone, being humans like them, being sinners like them, to mimic God's people here. To recognize on the one hand our sin, but instead of confessing our sin, we simply want to know when will the discipline be over. And that's what Daniel is confessing. Recognizing as he reads Jeremiah 25, 70 years, it's almost over. Why does it last so long? Yeah, on the one hand, it is because God has promised in the beginning that it would be 70 years, but it's also because God's people had failed to seek him. Daniel seeking the Lord forth trustingly, particularly trusting in God's compassionate forgiveness, which is an absolute necessity after we have read through the litany of sin that he has confessed on behalf of himself as well as the people. Verse 4, God keeps loving kindness for those who love him. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. Verse 16, let your anger and wrath turn away from your city, your holy mountain. Verse 18, we're presenting our supplications on account of your great compassion. O Lord, forgive, verse 19. O Lord, listen and take action. Because Daniel trusted wholeheartedly that God, was a, God is a forgiving God, that he's a compassionate God who takes pity on his people, he was willing to come, both acknowledging the sin but believing what God has said with regard to the forgiveness that is freely offered. So Daniel is pursuing God earnestly, reverently, penitently, trustingly, and persistently, 68 years in exile, and he's still seeking the Lord in prayer. We saw it from the very beginning in his life, and we see it continued. He records this prayer here for us in verse 9, which, which had to be a, a difficult thing in Daniel's mind. I mean, you think this godly, humble, aged, mature man who is writing, on the one hand, under the inspiration of the Spirit, but yet on the other hand, he's writing his prayer for all to see, something that's private. He's exposing So, so the tug between the, the pride that would potentially be there, yet obeying God and the benefit of the church for all ages. But Daniel just plows through persistently seeking God, doing what God had called him to do, and seeking the Lord's face. And then lastly, Daniel prays specifically. He's not content with mere generalities. Again, go back to the litany of subpoint three. He notes again and again the specific guilt that he and the people of God are responsible for. So here's Daniel. Scroll rolled out. Jeremiah 25. The reason that you have suffered the way that you have is because of your disobedience. It is coming to an end. The end is just around the bend. What does Daniel do? He responds in prayer, seeking the Lord. The acting of God in history is not just his decrees and promises, Jeremiah 25, but also the prayers of his people, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel seeks the Lord. He doesn't sit back and say, it has been decreed, it will happen. There's nothing I need to do. He believes God. He takes him at his word and he begs God to make it so. An instilling, an inoculation, if you will, an injection, rather, of of hope from seeing the promise of God results in Daniel seeking the face of God. And then right in the middle of his prayer, he is rudely interrupted by Gabriel, this man that he saw in his vision, who we know is a messenger of God, an angel. Look at verse 20. This is the promise of God. Now, when I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God while I was still speaking in my prayer, then the man Gabriel. God immediately answers Daniel's prayer. He sends Gabriel for the singular purpose at that moment in time to say to Daniel, I've heard you. And I've answered affirmatively. He hasn't even said amen. And he's, God sends a messenger from heaven. And he arrives in Daniel's extreme weariness. Verse 21, if you have any other translation than, than what I've read, it may say something like, Gabriel flew swiftly. Which conveys the proper idea, just not the exact translation. The interpretive work has been done for us, which can be rather helpful at times. So here's Gabriel on a mission, if you will, from heaven. Daniel is begging God, win, make it so, bless your people again, heal our land, forgive our sin, and the messenger is sent from heaven. I mean, that's the way Gabriel describes it. He gave me instructions, he talked, I've come forth to give you insight. At the beginning of your supplications, verse 23, right when you started, the command was issued. But before you even got into everything, the command went out across heaven, as it were. And God sent me to say, I've heard your prayer, Daniel. Now, an important point that we don't want to miss from verse 21 that we are prone. I didn't mean to back the bus over you as well. I am prone just to read over and move on. Notice the time of day that Gabriel flew in to see Daniel, to help him. How does Daniel say at the very end of verse 21? About the time of the evening offering. Here's the problem with that. There is no evening offering. And there hasn't been for 68 years. There's been no temple, no evening offering, no sacrifices. And yet Daniel knows exactly what time it is. He has spent the past nearly 70 years separated from the holy temple and from the holy people, unable to corporately worship freely and publicly, living in a pagan culture, and yet he still, in his heart and in his mind, maintains these rhythms of worship of his God. At the time of the evening offering, he knew whether he was there in person in Jerusalem witnessing the sacrifice on the altar, or whether he was like he had daily, it appears, for 68 years, worshiping God in his heart, longing for the reestablishment of the temple, for the reestablishment of God's people being gathered together. He knew what time it was it was time for sacrifice, for sin. So we, we, here, here's the point that I think is worth taking away. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter where we live. It doesn't matter if you're in prison or in a palace. It doesn't matter if you're in church or on the job or in the classroom. We can all worship God. We can worship him anywhere at any time. That's what he's called us to do. That's what it means to be a child of God. The exact application from Daniel's situation, we could go a step further. Let the world take away all our rights. They cannot stop us from worshiping the one true God. In our culture, we are far more likely to stop ourselves from worshiping him properly in the way that he has demanded than the world actually stopping us. Now, none of that is the point of the text, but it's an important point that's worth taking away. Now, the second six set of subpoints here, the six things from Gabriel, six kindnesses from God through the messenger Gabriel to Daniel, to the people of God in Daniel's day and to us. I came, Gabriel says, to give you insight. I, I came to reveal and, and to pull back the curtain a little bit and reveal what God is doing with his people, how he's dealing with them. I came, secondly, to give you understanding about God's timing. You have been here 68 years. Your Year 70 is around the corner. But it may not be all that you anticipate and expect. We noticed some of that reality last week in chapter 8. Thirdly, the command was issued. I mentioned, to this, I mentioned to this already. With regard to your prayer being answered, all, all of heaven... Heard your prayer, as it were. I mean, again, what an encouragement. It is a fascinating reality that we would have God's ear in the midst of prayer. But Gabriel's interaction with Daniel here seems to allude that all of heaven is anxiously awaiting for the incense to come up, the prayers of the saints to come up, in order that God can say, yes, I hear you, yes, I see you. And then they watch, all of heavenly hosts, as it were, watch as God says, yes, I command that it be done. And His decrees and His promises happen in response to the prayers of His people. And the people on earth are encouraged, and all those in heaven are gloriously worshiping God because of who he is and what he continues to do. And then Gabriel goes a step further. Fourthly, you are highly esteemed. Verse 23. This is what Gabriel, the messenger of God, the angel of God, is saying to Daniel. There's probably not a more encouraging aspect to this chapter than this. The angel of the Lord coming along and saying, God loves you greatly. And you know what's encouraging about that? It's not that God loves Daniel so much, but that what is true for Daniel is true for us. God hears our prayers. And in Jesus, we are his beloved children. We have his ear and the ear of heaven, as it were. And finally, to help you Understand, to gain understanding of the vision, or to bolster your confidence. What was about to be said, as we're going to see in the final verses, wasn't all encouragement. There's difficulty. Again, we go back to Daniel chapter 8 and we're reminded that in the very, very end, everything is bliss and wonderful. But it's a difficult pathway between here and there. And the angel Gabriel has been sent to grant some measure of understanding for Daniel that he might understand that better. To give insight with understanding regarding the promises of God. The promises that should drive us to our knees and not to a state of apathy. The promises of God offer us immeasurable hope and should not result in despair. Daniel could have read Jeremiah 25, shrugged it off, "Hmm, two more years, and just waited for God to do what he promised. But that's not what he did. He prayed. He prayed in faith. He believed God and he longed for it to happen. That's what the Lord expects of us. That's what he requires of us to respond to the promises of his his word in a similar fashion to the way that Daniel has by seeking him in prayer, acknowledging his greatness, acknowledging our fault and our sin and our shortcomings, our rebellion and our wickedness, our failures, but also recognizing his compassion and his pity and his forgiveness and his love for us as his people. Consider the doctrine of election, God's sovereign salvation of his people. God makes abundantly clear in his word that he will call to himself a people from every tribe and every nation on earth. He says they have been predestined for this even before the world began. Now, does that mean that there's no need for prayer, for souls to be saved, or no need for evangelism to happen? God says he'll do it. What does he need us for? No, that's not the approach at all. Prayer and evangelism are the means through which God will accomplish his plan of salvation for the world. Sure, he could easily do it without us. Yet he has made us partners, laborers, co-laborers with him in his grand plan of salvation. In the same way that the doctrine of election should not make us pray less or evangelize less. But rather pray more fervently and evangelize all the more diligently. Recognizing our labor is not in vain. Because of God's promise to us. In the same way the promise that God has made regarding his people. Exile will come to an end. So they don't just sit back waiting on the decrees of God to take place but they pursue the face of God begging him to act on behalf of his people C- continuing the thought with regard to both the promise of God on the one hand and his promise to save a people for himself co- combining those two in how it should move us to prayer and motivate us to evangelism listen to these promises Isaiah 43.25, I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and I will remember your sins no more. Does that make you want to just sit idly by and wait on that to happen? No. No. Or Micah 7, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. That doesn't make us want to sit idly by. We we want to go to God. We want to beg him. Please do pass over the rebellious acts ours and others and have compassion on us again. Tread our iniquities underfoot. Cast our sins onto Christ and throw him into the depths of the sea and put up the sign like the old writer said, no fishing. Don't go digging out those sins again. I have forgiven their iniquity, Jeremiah 31. I will remember their sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103. So far has he removed our transgression from us. And all this is prior to us flipping over to the New Testament. Where we're told, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The acting of God in history is not just his decrees and his promises, but it is also the prayers of his people. It's the prayer to God, the promise from God, and now the prophecy of God. Verse 24 and following. Don't lose the big picture. Daniel, open scroll. Jeremiah 25, the end is coming. He's driven to prayer. God sends an answer of encouragement via the messenger Gabriel regarding his prayer. And this is a further answer. In fact, Gabriel alludes to this prophecy coming. This is a response to Daniel's prayer. His prayer about Jeremiah 25 and the end of exile. And the application, therefore, because that's when... The prophecy happened, the application is immediate before it is anything else. So it is primarily immediate for Daniel. It is applicable to us this morning as well, but it is primarily immediately applicable. Now, regarding this passage, it is possible to have different interpretations of this passage. It doesn't go for any passage or all passages in the Bible, but it is very possible to have different interpretations of this passage and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if our interpretation is proven wrong by Scripture or if it leads people away from the gospel of God, then we have a problem. If anyone says that the gospel depends on a certain specific belief about passages like Daniel 9, 24 through 27, then there is likely a problem. And if anyone claims to have a definitive interpretation, then we probably also have a problem. So I'm going to take it on myself and assume we have no problems. (laughs) There are three top takes from this passage. Viewing verse 24, As a prophecy about what will happen when the exiles return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So, one option is it will be completely fulfilled in two years from when Daniel is receiving it. Second take. Understanding verse 24 to mean everything that happens in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus all the way to the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Or, in other words, verse 24 has been completely and historically fulfilled in the life and times of Jesus and immediately thereafter. Third take, still others believe that it means that this will be fulfilled as the end of the age approaches when Jesus finally returns a second time and vanquishes the devil and his minions. Or, more simply stated, verse 24 has yet to be fulfilled. So those are the the top three options, fulfilled Two years from when Daniel has it fulfilled in the early days of the New Testament or yet to be fulfilled. So those are the top three takes. I'm going to give you the primary takeaway. If we walk away from these verses without a higher regard for what Jesus has done and for what he will one day complete, then we've missed the point altogether. Let's look again at verse 24 to make that to crystallize it a little bit in our minds. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. We do not want to walk away from this verse and the following ones without a higher regard for what Jesus has accomplished For his continued work on our behalf and what he will one day do for the church of God. To finish the transgression. What a promise was given to Daniel. A guaranteed end for sin among God's people. I mean, imagine it. Go back to Daniel's prayer. Go back to subpoint three in point number one and remember the litany of confession of sin on Daniel's part and on the people of Israel that Daniel's confessing for them. And here in the midst of the prophecy, God says, I'm going to bring an end to all of that for my people. I will finish all transgression or second subpoint, to make an end of sin. And he did. He has put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The writer of Hebrews tells us, Christ will finish the transgression. Christ will make an end of sin. Christ will make atonement for iniquity. He bore our sins, Peter tells us, in his body on the tree. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, the psalmist exclaimed. To seal up vision and prophecy. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son. No more vision and prophecy, but Jesus and to anoint the most holy place. I will build my church, Christ said. So let's not walk away from the difficult complexities and the mystery that clouds and obscures these passages. Let's not walk away without a higher regard for what Christ has done. Recognizing the truth of God, the veracity of His word to promise, promise it so long before it came to pass. And then as we look back with the privilege of reveling and glorying and glorying in the grace that has been shown. Now a couple of details, just to satisfy curiosity. 70 weeks. Literally seventy-sevens. It's it's not literal here. And if we get into the absolute literalness of it, it actually makes it more obscure and less clear and more difficult and problematic. But but using the terms that are here, the seventy-sevens, broken up into three different periods, first seven sevens, then sixty-two sevens, then one seven. Weeks that become years, seven sevens in about 50 years, 49 years. Ezra and Nehemiah did rebuild the city during that period of time. That's the first week of sevens that's being prophesied here. And then 62 sevens, 434 years. Fast forwards us right to the time of Christ on earth. You can't make this stuff up. One seven or seven years, three and a half years or so into Christ's ministry, then the cross. In the middle of that last week, sacrifices were brought to an end. Seven sevens. in the beginning, it's from the issuing of a decree. When Cyrus said, go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem, It'll be real, it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. And here's the promise to Daniel. It's not going to be glory days when exile comes to an end. You people are still sinners and you still live in a fallen world, God is saying to Daniel. But it will be built again. And this is when and this is how. And after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. And this is an important note for us. Not during those 62 weeks, but after. He was cut off during the final week, the final set of sevens. The 70th week. This 70th week has not been, therefore, postponed to the end of the world. Right? The cutting off of the Messiah happened during the last week. During the 70th week. If we postpone, which is the most popular and common way to look at the passage, if we postpone the 70th week to the end of the world, then Gabriel has been sent from heaven to reveal that the Messiah has not yet been cut off. If the seventieth week has been postponed to some other time, then the Messiah has not been cut off, and we are still in our sins, and Christ has not come. And if we continue working through those that passage, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. And it was just a few decades after the life of Christ that the temple was completely destroyed and sacrifices have not happened to this day. Christ brought an end to those sacrifices. One, in one way, in himself being that final sacrifice and in another way, through his providence, bringing the temple to nothing so that the sacrifices could no longer continue since they were an abomination to God. In the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice. In the final week, again, it's difficult to use the terms here because they aren't literal. So don't think seven days, don't think this is Wednesday at lunch that's being referred to. In the final week, the Messiah is cut off, and as a result of that, the sacrifices and offerings, all other sacrifices, all other offerings are rendered obsolete. They are no longer necessary for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus has fully and finally taken care of that for us by his death on the cross. And that's what the obscurity of this passage is talking about. Again, If the 70th week has not yet happened and it's just for some future time, then the cross has not yet happened and we're still dead in our trespasses and sin. It is important how we interpret and apply these verses. And I should mention again, it is very possible to tweak these numbers and change what we think about it, even to a large measure, and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. Just some of us are going to be wrong for a few more decades before we're all right. I'm ready for that day. Not because I love being right, but because it will be glorious to be one with everyone. The acting of God, again, I'll repeat this phrase. The acting of God in history is not just his decrees and promises, but also the prayers of his people. May he help us to believe his promises. That it might drive us to him in prayer. The exile ending was not going to be the beginning of paradise on earth. And those of you who belong to Jesus know that coming to Christ was not the end of all your earthly problems. Yet God has promised to never leave or forsake his people. We considered Pilgrim's Progress together as a church, the book by John Bunyan a few years back. Some of you will remember At the interpreter's house, a pilgrim, a Christian, is being led through. And they come to a place where there's a fire burning against the wall. And there's one standing beside it, casting water continuously, trying to quench the fire. And yet the fire burned higher and higher as water is thrown on the fire. And Bunyan's pilgrim asked the question, what does this mean? The interpreter said, the fire is the work of grace that's been wrought in the heart of the believer. And that, that's the devil. That's Satan there throwing water upon it, trying to extinguish it, attempting to put it out. But if you notice, the fire just burns hotter and higher. You know why that is? Interpreter asked. So he carried Christian around to the back side of the wall, where he saw a man with a vessel of oil in his hand, and he just continually cast, not in some dramatic way, just pouring the oil secretly, as it were, into the fire. So Christian asked, "Interpreter, what, what does this mean?" Oh, interpreter said, "This is Christ." Who continually, with the oil of his grace, maintains the work that has been begun in the believer's heart. By the means of which, notwithstanding, I'm quoting now, what the devil can do, the souls of his people prove gracious still. And in that you saw that the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire. This is to teach you that it's hard for the tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul. Daniel's reading Jeremiah 25. He knows the exile's coming to an end. He knows the people have not cried out to God. He knows they deserve no good from God. He's seeking the Lord in prayer. And Gabriel is sent from heaven to say, you and your people are dearly loved. There's a Messiah coming. There's a Savior coming. It's as if Gabriel, beckoned by God, comes to Daniel and says, come, look behind the wall. Look at all this grace. Look at all this oil. It doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what Satan does. They can dump water, buckets, oceans of it onto real Christians and they will burn hotter and higher and brighter. May God help us to not be overwhelmed by those who are trying to douse us with fire. But may God give us the grace. But take each one by the arm and walk and look behind the wall. Ah, oh, there he is the promised one, Christ. He is for us and not against us. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Let's keep looking behind the wall. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word, for the truth that it contains, for the promises that are yes and amen in Jesus. God, we confess that we need help like Daniel did because of our sin, because of the difficulty with believing you, our faint-heartedness, our faithlessness, God, won't you grant us even more grace that we might walk with you all our days. God, grant us intimacy with you and unity with one another in order that you might be honored, in order that Christ might be glorified, in order that your church might be sanctified. Help us to that end. God, give us grace to look behind the wall and to see him who knew no sin standing there as our advocate, our righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.